Hi, everybody, and welcome to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers for April 2020, presented in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This month's interview is with Will Birch about his book, Cruel to be Kind, The Life and Music of of Nick Lowe. Described as Britain's greatest living songwriter, Nick Lowe has made his mark as a pioneer of pub rock, power pop, and punk rock, and as a producer of Elvis Costello, Graham Parker, The Damned, and The Pretenders. He's been a pop star with his bands Brinsley Schwartz and Rockpile, a step-son-in-law to Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash, and he is the writer behind hits like Cruel to be Kind and What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding. Biographer Will Birch, who in addition to being a musician himself, has known Nick for over 40 years, and he melds Lowe's gift as a witty raconteur with his own authoritative analysis of Nick Lowe's background and the cultural scenes he exemplifies. I began my interview with Will Birch by asking him about his own musical career. Well, I, I played in groups in my youth, you know, as a teenager in my local town near London, UK, and um, to not much uh, success until really the pub rock scene started in London in the uh, early 1970s um, and I had a group called the Curzel Flyers um, and in around 1974 we started playing in London um, at, at the sort of venues that groups like Brinsley Schwartz with Nick Lowe had played in and Dr. Feelgood and Kilburn and Iroads, all those exciting what they call pub rock groups and it was quite uh, a, a good breakthrough because we quickly got a recording contract. And in 1976, we had a hit record here in the UK with a song called Little Does She Know. Um, we split up, uh, unfortunately, in 1977. Um, I always say we were sunk by punk because <laughs> the Sex Pistols and the Damned and the Clash had come along and really put us pub rock groups out of business we were old hat now but I, I went on and then formed a group called the records and we got a record deal with virgin and we had a single called starry eyes which was quite a favorite in the in the u.s we, yes we 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 toured uh throughout seven we first went to new york in 78 as part of the stiff tour the b stiff tour where we were the backing group for Rachel Sweet. Um, we got airplay on Starry Eyes. We toured extensively through 79, 80. Um, you know, we made three or four albums. And uh, when that came to an end, um, I started to work uh, with um, the organization that Nick Lowe was managed by, Riviera Global, which was headed by Jake Riviera, his manager, and uh, Nick's manager, and I went there ostensibly to uh, work with Carleen Carter, who was Nick's wife at the time, um, tour managing, etc. And then I went, and went on and did a lot of other mad stuff through the 80s and the 90s. I ended up writing a couple of books. I wrote for Mojo magazine and some other uh, London-based uh, rock music uh, monthlies, uh, I wrote a book called No Sleep Till Canby Island, which was about the pub rock scene, which led to the birth of, you know, Elvis Costello and the attractions, Graham Parker and the Rumour, um, all of those groups we all love. 
then I wrote an, a biography of the late Ian Dury, or he was living at the time, but mm-hmm. he died around the time I started writing his biography. Um, that came out in 2010, and then when that was finished, I thought, well, who's next? There's got to be Nick Lowe. So I started working on this book of Nick Lowe biography, which has recently been published. Makes sense that you would want to write a book about Nick Lowe. You were part of this this same scene, as you mentioned, that Nick Lowe came out of. It sounds like you're close to Nick. Would you consider yourself close friends? Uh, well, I say, you know, I'd like to think of him as a friend. I mean, I've known him for 45 years. Wow. Uh, he wrote a song back in 1975 uh, after his group Brinsley Schwartz broke up and before he, he got going with Stiff Records. He wrote a song called Television, which was recorded by my group, The Cozal Flyers. It was on our second album, and that's when I sort of first really met Nick. Uh, so that's a long time ago. And then, of course, I got to know him a lot better when I started working with Carleen. I, I did write a song with Dave Edmonds, actually, which was on one of Dave's albums when Rockpile were going. So I, I was around that whole scene, you know, on and off through the late 70s. And then over the years, yeah, I've kept in close contact with Nick, and we've had a lot of lunches together. I guess he's a friend, yeah. <laughs> did did <laughs> did you give him a, a copy of the book to look over, just to make sure he gave it a <laughs> two thumbs up, or wanted to just kind of see if he all, you know, had if he agreed with all the facts and you got the facts right, or if there was anything? Because you know, not not every part of his life has been uh, sweetness and light. I'm just curious about that. Well. I'd interviewed him quite a bit before I started working on what became a biography because I'd written quite a lot of sleeve notes for his reissues of his albums on CD and various reviews for magazines. So over the years, I'd had a lot of sessions with him doing interviews, and then that sort of merged into uh, what I thought would work in a book. And over the course of three or four years, we did lots of sessions where I just listened to him, asked him a question, and you know, you know what Nick's like, he can talk for England, and he's quite funny and engaging, so I listened to all the stuff, and I recorded, tape-recorded what he told me. Um, I, I think what he says, he thinks I, I would never finish a book. I think he kept you know, agreeing to meet on the basis that he would just tell me about his life. Um, then one day, um, after I'd done a lot of research, um, I was able to tell him about his family history going back several generations that he had no idea about at all. He had no idea that his great-grandfather was an American who fought in the American Civil War and that his great-grandmother was uh, an Austrian countess uh, and had been a piano forte pupil of Franz Liszt. Wow. Um, I established all this through two or three years of deep research. Um, and when I told him, he couldn't believe it. Um, <laughs> anyway, as, the, as my first draft was nearing completion, I guess around about three years ago now, uh, I said to Nick, I really think you ought to read a few chapters and printed off a few pages for him. I, I think he sort of left them somewhere on a shelf and didn't really read them. Then one day I said, well, look, I've got a publisher now. It's coming out. And he thought, oh, I, you know, I'd better check it out. So he did then start to read various sections. And he did make some or request some amendments and 
I was quite happy to do that, and I think the text benefited from it. So he did get involved at a very late stage, but we've we've shied away from calling it an authorised biography. It's it's done with his, um, you know, good good grace and goodwill. I think he, I think he's sort of secretly pleased. There's a book about about him out there, but. Um, you know, he doesn't necessarily endorse it. <laughs> you know, it's a, he keeps it. He keeps it sort of. You know, it's fairly humorous uh, relationship he's got with it. You know. He's, uh, it's high time there's a biography of Nick Lowe. My goodness, he turned 70 this year. Hard, hard to believe that. His career goes back a, a long, long ways. I'm trying to think of other uh, artists uh, in the music world, Will, who are so successful as a songwriter and a band member and, uh, you know, a musician and a music producer. I mean, he's, you know, he's one of these musical multi-hyphenates. There, there's not a ton of those are there i'm trying to think of other people who, who have done work in in all of these fields as much as nick lowe has so go go back to his early days but you know before you know rock pile before he worked with elvis costello became a solo artist and tell us more about brinsley schwartz I, I'm, I'm sure there's just not enough people here in the ann arbor area in southeast michigan who, who really know about the roots of, of nick lowe's musical career how did he get started in music and tell us about brinsley schwartz well, Nick um, first picked up a musical instrument when he was a child, when he was about nine or ten. Uh, we're talking now the late 1950s into the early 1960s, and he wanted to be a, a singer. Um, it was the Skiffle era, so it was pre-Beatles, really. You know, obviously Elvis Presley and Little Richard were around rock and roll. And uh, Nick's father was a, a captain in the in the Royal Air Force. In, in fact, he flew bombers during World War Two, and he continued to um, be in the Air Force through the 1960s. Um, and he was frequently stationed overseas. So, as a child or as a, a teenager, Nick would find himself living on um, air bases uh, in the in the Middle East or in Germany. Uh, where he came into contact with a lot of American uh, airmen who were stationed over there as well. And on these air bases, there would be, um, you know, American uh, radio stations that would play American country music and that, that sort of folk music. And Nick got to hear a lot of this stuff as a, as a very young, well, as a teenage child and as a teenager. And it had a big influence on him, and he wanted to write songs himself. So at school, he formed groups, you know, through the, the Beat era, the, the Beatles and the R&B period, you know, groups like Animals and the Rolling Stones. He loved all that. Um, and uh, he left school, went to college, wanted to be a journalist, but that didn't really work out. And then he got a call from uh, a guy called Brinsley Schwartz, who was a guitar player, uh, who had a group called Kippington Lodge, um, who had a recording contract in, in with EMI here in London. Um, and Nick joined on bass. Uh, they quickly changed their name to Brinsley Schwartz uh, at the insistence of their manager, Dave Robinson, who later went on to form or co-form co Stiff Records in the mid-70s. But Dave um, and his management team wanted to launch Brinsley Schwartz so there was a, a fairly famous episode where uh, Dave got Brinsley Schwartz a gig in New York at the, at the Fillmore East Auditorium, and they tried to launch the group there. Um, they flew 200 uh, UK 
journalists over to New York to cover the event for the for the for the media, but it was a complete disaster. Everything went wrong on this on this launch. I write about it in the Nick Lowe biography, yes. so people can read about. It. So Brinsley Schwartz were a flop. I mean, they they were a joke, really. They came back from New York with their tail between their legs. And uh, they tried to launch them, and really it was premature. The group weren't ready to be launched in that way. It was a complete fiasco. Um, however, um, the the group didn't break up. They decided to uh, sort of take things back to their roots. They were very influenced by the band, um, the American group at the time, and I think they wanted to be the band. And they, they went on to make five or six albums for United Artists through the early to mid-70s. Uh, their last album was produced by Dave Edmonds, and that's where Nick really got to know Dave. And, of course, they, Dave and Nick went on to form Rockpile after Brinsley Schwartz broke up in 75 and Stiff Records in 76. Uh, Dave and Nick formed Rockpile and, as you know, toured America extensively. And Nick started to become a record producer. He worked famously with Graham Parker and The Rumor, The Pretenders, the Damned, one of the first punk records here in the UK, and then, of course, Elvis Costello and the Attractions. So Nick has, was a triple threat. You know, he could write songs, he could sing and play, and he could produce. So he had this all-round talent, um, which was exploited at the time by his manager, Jake Riviera. And Nick was the guy, you know, for, for two or three years in the late 70s in London. Everybody wanted to be produced by Nick Lowe. Um, but then Nick started to get hits as a solo artist, and the big hit, of course, in 79, Cruel to be Kind, yes. which I'm sure your listeners are familiar with. Oh, yeah. Um, and and that was really how it all got going. Yeah, Cruel to be Kind, so well known here in the U.S., and obviously the other song we know him so well for is for, is for writing What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding, made into a hit by Elvis Costello and the Attractions. But th- that's not the original version of that song, Will, am I correct? The original version uh, was um, recorded by uh, Brinsley Schwartz. It was. So Nick wrote that song uh, in the really sort of the final year of Brinsley Schwartz, around about 1974. It was on their final studio album uh, that came out that year, produced by Dave Edmonds. Um, And um, the song just sort of languished. I mean, it was released on 45 here. It wasn't a hit record, really, although it got some radio play. And people people who had their ear to the ground knew about it but it wasn't the the public at large didn't know about it but then um many many years later um it uh, it had a it had a second uh, life really um when it was included on the soundtrack album for the bodyguard the movie whitney houston movie um when it was covered by um curtis steigers uh, the the jazz inclined singer and musician yes. from Boise, Idaho. Um, Curtis uh, used to do the song in his club set, and um, he he went he got a record deal himself with um, I think with Arista Records, and he went on tour with somebody like Elton John or Eric Clapton. I'm not sure whom, but um, Clive Davis, who was the head of um, Arista and to whom Whitney Houston was signed, heard Curtis singing the 
song, Nick Lowe's song, What's So Funny About Peace, Love and Understanding, uh, in one of these big shows that Curtis was a uh, support act on. And apparently uh, D- uh, Clive Davis said, that's the song we need for the movie soundtrack. So it was included on the soundtrack album. A gigantic, uh, there was a massive yeah, seller. Yeah. And because Nick wrote the <laughs> song, uh, you know, it wasn't his version, but he, you know, owned the copyright because he was the songwriter. You mentioned in your book, this was a pretty, an incredible paycheck for him, correct? Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, the the record company claim that the soundtrack album for The Bodyguard sold 45 million <laughs> units worldwide. Now, that makes it, I think that makes it bigger than Thriller or, yeah. or, or Eagle's Greatest Hits or any of those huge, huge records. Um, so it sold millions and millions of copies. And as songwriter of one of, I think, 18 songs on the album, uh, Nick got one eighteenth of the publishing uh, royalties, and the story is, you know, he suddenly gets a check for a million bucks, um, or getting on that way. But I think with residual royalties over the years that followed, he probably did make seven figures on it. Oh. Um, uh, and really, this was—I mean, he deserved it. You know, musicians can labour away for years and years and years, and, and do really good stuff that goes under the radar. Oh, but yeah. he, he, he got really good fortune there. And I often wonder, had that, had that not have happened, and it could quite easily not have happened, quite easily. You know, Curtis Steigers might not have ever sung it. Clive Davis could never have heard it. The Bodyguard may never have put a soundtrack album out with, a, with that song on. But it did all happen. And what that money enabled Nick to do was to sort of... Well, he was already in the middle of reevaluating his musical approach. He didn't want to do uh, rock and roll anymore. He wanted to do something a little bit more, what he thought was a bit more mature, and it enabled him to record at his own pace. And out of that uh, period came the albums of the 90s, like The Impossible Bird and The Convincer, um, which is really what we call act two of Nick Lowe's career. But it was enabled essentially by that chunk of money coming into his organization. I saw the short-lived group Little Village play in Detroit. This is the, the band that featured Nick Lowe along with John Hyatt, Ry Cooter, and Jim Keltner, four outstanding musicians who recorded this one self-titled album, did a tour, and promptly broke up. How, how did this come together, and how, why did it last for such a short period of time, Will? Well, um, how it came together was that uh, John Hyatt had come to London in the mid-1980s to be produced by Nick, and Nick Lowe produced one side of an album that John put out in around about, I think it was about 84, called Riding with the King. And um, John uh, toured with Nick uh, through the mid to late 80s and um, got on quite well. Um, John had already appeared on, on stage with Ry Cooder, so was friends with Ry. And one day, uh, John Hyatt phoned Nick Lowe up and said, I'm making a new album. Um, I need you to play bass on it. 
and after a lot of um, <laughs> amusing, uh, uh, you know, amusing stories, really, Nick Nick was, oh, why do they want me? I can't really play the bass. But anyway, Nick went out to L.A. and met for the first time Ry Cuda. So Ry and John and Jim Kelton, the drummer, uh, made this album with Nick on bass, and it was uh, one of John Hyatt's solo albums. Then a couple of years later... Um, uh, the uh, Ry Cooder's record company, which was uh, Warner's, um, I think the guy there had this idea of, of trying to form a sort of a super group. Um, they'd had a lot of success with the Travelling Wilburys. Uh, Jim Keltner was the drummer, as you probably know, with the Travelling Wilburys. But the Wilburys were between records, and I think Warner's had this idea, who else have we got? Can we repeat this formula? I mean, that sounds fairly crass, but I think that was the thinking so they got Cuda and they got Jim on the drums and, hey, Nick Lowe and John Hyatt, and they became uh, Little Village. They recorded only one album and toured the world for about 12 months, but it was short-lived. Um, who knows why? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, the record was quite good. Uh, they, yeah. could certainly, <laughs> they could certainly play... <laughs> They were good. I saw one or two shows, and they were pretty good. But I, I think it was a bit of... I think, really, it was a bit of a forced situation. I think a forced situation. I think it was a little bit sort of superficial, really. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I, I, think, I think successful groups need to be uh, more, you know, come together more organically rather than this kind of, well, let's put four hot guys together. It didn't work, really. I think that was the, the, the short answer. He had, Nick Lowe had uh, a not very long and rather, it sounds like, a, by reading your book, a rather tempestuous relationship and marriage with Carlene Carter, the, the daughter of Carl Smith and June Carter Cash and stepdaughter of Johnny Cash. Fascinating to read about uh, those two and their relationship and Nick working with and having songs covered by Johnny Cash. He, he just absolutely must consider that one of his peak career achievements how could he not correct well yeah definitely i mean I, nick's very modest about it you know he said oh what did he want what does johnny cash want to do with my songs but i think i think secretly he was quite pleased uh, johnny cash and june carter came to london in 79 just after shortly after nick and carlene had married and they were living in a small terraced house in west london and johnny and june were in town to play one of the big country uh, music of shows um, in, at Wembley and um, I think June said we've got to drop by and see uh, Nick and Carlene and in fact Johnny and June stayed in uh, Nick and Carlene's house for a few nights and huh. while they were there this was Christmas around Christmas uh, 79 and the house that Nick and Carlene lived in had a recording studio on the ground floor um, which it had previously been the house of the record producer Tony Visconti, who, as you know, worked with David Bowie. Um, and they bought the house and they got the studio with it. So on Boxing Day, the day after Christmas, um, uh, Johnny wanted a record, so they all went downstairs with Dave Edmonds and various other musicians, and they cut um, a song of Nick's called Without Love, which Johnny released on one of on his Rockabilly Blues, I think the album was called, uh, the following year. Um, 
And then I think Johnny Cash said, what else have you got for me? And Nick had started writing a song called The Beast in Me. I think the song took quite a few years to complete. And Johnny Cash would frequently call up and say to Nick, have you finished that song yet? Anyway, one day Nick did finish it and Johnny Cash did record it. So, uh, well, fantastic really for any songwriter to have songs recorded by such a legend. But I think Nick was a little embarrassed in the sense that he didn't want to be seen to be pushing his material at his stepfather-in-law. You know, Carleen would say, come on, Nick, what else you got? You know, but I think Nick would just say, hang on, slow down a bit here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but, yeah, great. Terrific, uh, really. Man, incredible. So Nick Lowe is a solo artist. My goodness, I mean, is his solo career going back to the mid to late 70s, late 1978 or so with Jesus of Cool. It's been a while. It's been several years since since there's been a full-length album, but he has been working with recently and has recorded a few EPs with this uh, rock band, roots rock band called Low Straight Jackets. This was the last time I saw Nick. I uh, was in the last, oh, maybe year or two uh, in Detroit at St. Andrew's Hall. Great band, but this is the look for people who don't know Low Straight Jackets. This group who wears these 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 bizarre wrestling masks. <laughs> it, it, at least on paper, it looks like what is Nick Lowe doing? Working with these guys wearing these crazy wrestling masks. Uh, how, how did this collaboration come about? Will? Well, it's funny because when uh, it, back in 1977, when Stiff Records did their first UK tour, the, the Stiff tour. Um, and, and Nick Lowe, alongside Elvis Costello and Ian Jury, was one of the acts on the tour. Nick said, I wanted something that looked a bit unusual. You know, he, he said he didn't want a standard-looking group. Well, he sure got something unusual when he hooked up with Lost Straight Jackets. That's <laughs> true. Um, but, yeah, and so I think um, Lost Straight Jackets uh, have put some records out on Yep Rock, which is the label Nick's records appear on in the USA and I believe that they share a manager and um, I think it started off on as a sort of an informal you know very informal idea um, but um, about four years ago five years ago now maybe they um, they started doing some shows together what they call the rock and roll review and um, it, it's just gone from strength to strength it does look unusual to see Nick up there looking like Nick Lowe, you know, with four guys wearing wrestling masks. And, of course, Nick plays it really deadpan, you know. <laughs> of course. He, he doesn't bounce off this strange look at all. It's just, hey, this is perfectly normal. <laughs> you know, so that sort of, that suits, that suits his humor, really, or his... Uh, self-deprecation you know i just happened to bump into these guys but the thing is they are fantastic musicians and um they have adapted um well they've adapted to nick's songs and nick's songs have adapted to their style so it's a, a it's a very uh, reciprocal arrangement of collaboration um and they love his songs and he loves their playing it works it's worked out well for both parties and then while they've been doing these tours particularly in the usa if they'll do a two or three week run uh they will at the end of the tour uh, they will take a little bit of time to go into a studio and put put some tracks down nick will have three or four new songs they've probably been doing a couple of them in the in the show 
so I'll go in and lay down some tracks. So over the last couple of years, they put two EPs out, extended play, four trackers. Uh, so there's eight songs have come out, or eight tracks have come out to date. I believe they've just recorded a few more mm. in St. Louis, Missouri, I hear. Um, so they've now probably got 10 or 12 songs in, in the can to probably be um, co collected together for a full-length album, maybe, but I have no insight into that. I mean, it's just the... It's the, it's the obvious thing. It's probably what will happen when the time is right. My goodness, Elvis Costello and the attractions. I mean, the first five Elvis Costello albums produced by Nick Lowe, and Nick Lowe's uh, most recent couple of solo albums uh, in, in particular, I guess it's his most recent album of all new material, The Old Magic. Uh, all of that work uh, remains some of my very favorite. Well, why don't we close out by asking you, Will, what, what, what do you like the most in Nick Lowe's career, either as a, um, as a producer or a musician on his own, as a solo artist? or with Rockpile or Brinsley Schwartz? Can you name you know, one project, one album, one artist that uh, he's worked with or work that he's done on his own that remains your very favorite? Well, I love, I love nearly all of it. I mean, the groups he produced, I'm a big fan of anyway. Obviously, Elvis, The Pretenders, Dr. Feelgood, Love, Fabulous Thunderbirds, you know, they're, they're all groups I really, really love. I think my favorite periods of Nick's musically probably were the mid-70s around the time of Labor, Labor of Lust very strong record and Jesus of Call great songs on there but more recently you know the convincer um, at my age um, and you mentioned there the um, the old magic huh? the old magic they've got some terrific songs on so for me it's very very hard to pinpoint I mean I've got three or four real real favorite songs um, that I love um, peace love and understanding obviously I like um, I like all men are liars I like uh, lately I've let things slide I like uh, you inspire me I mean they're just really good songs it's very hard for me to pick uh, one <laughs> but those I've mentioned are some of my favorites oh, and, and also I like a song called the Rose of England which uh, was on one of his albums in the in the late well the album was called The Rose of England that's a very very good song thanks for listening to Martin Bandike Undercovers for April 2020 our interview was with Will Birch about his book Cruel to Be Kind The Life and Music of Nick Lowe this has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library I knew the bride when she used to rock and roll I knew the bride when she used to rock and roll